Hola y feliz nuevo año. Hello and happy new year from Mexico City. Today is Thursday, January 2nd of the year 2020. And my wish for the new year is that these 20s are just like the roaring 20s 100 years ago, except without prohibition or a Great Depression. Uh, this is my 21st episode of my podcast, My Mexican Mistakes. And as some of you know, if you've been listening to the podcasts, I moved to Mexico City from Chicago, only speaking the Spanish I knew from telenovelas, the Spanish I'd learned from telenovelas, without any understanding of the metric system or how the money works. I still haven't learned the metric system. I really don't have much of an idea of how the money works still um, because math is not my strong suit. And um, my Spanish has improved, but not much. I actually do understand a lot more than I can speak. I'm very uncomfortable speaking Spanish. And lately I've been blaming my bad Spanish on the fact that years ago I learned Italian. So even though learning another language, especially Italian, was helpful, or is helpful trying to learn Spanish, but my accent is all wrong. But since I tend to speak Spanish with an Italian accent, a friend of mine suggested I just tell people I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, so that's what I might start doing. So as I said, this is my 21st episode. I'm doing this episode a day earlier uh, than I normally would do this. Um, normally I do these on Fridays, sometimes a little bit later on Saturdays. Anybody who knows me knows I'm never early for anything. And uh, even when I worked in the courts as a prosecutor, if I got the date wrong and I like showed up, you know, two days early, um, because I just had the wrong date in my calendar, which was never a surprise because there was no worse calendar on earth than my calendar. But anyway, um, if I used to show up once in a while two days early as opposed to 45 minutes late, um, I would ask the judges if you know they would consider that I had shown up two days earlier, but since they knew that was completely an accident, um, they refused to give me any credit. But that's another story. Anyway, I'm doing this earlier than normal, a day earlier than normal, because tomorrow is going to be probably a very busy day because um, I have to get ready to leave Mexico City. It's been six months, um, unbelievably, uh, since I moved here from Chicago. And I, uh, it's these six months have gone by so fast but now I'm going to be leaving Mexico City to start exploring the country and go to other cities in the country of Mexico. That was my plan, six months in Mexico City, and then move on and start traveling a bit throughout the country. Uh, so I'm going to take a quick detour before I do that, but sometime in mid-January probably, I'll start my travels through the country of Mexico where I will make all new mistakes. I can pretty much guarantee that. Um, you know, I've gotten a little better in Mexico City. 
I don't make as many mistakes as I used to. And, uh, you know, it's time to shake that up, visit some new cities in Mexico City, like Mexico, like Puerto Vallarta, Oaxaca, Guadalajara, Guanajuato. I'm dying to go to Guanajuato because they have a saying there, la vida no vale nada. It sounds beautiful. It means life is worth nothing. And I'm dying to go to a city where the motto of the city is la vida no vale nada. Life is worth nothing. Um, I'm thinking that other cities probably won't adopt that as the motto, but I love it. And so I'm definitely going there. Um, Merida, um, there's a lot of places that I'm going to be visiting in Mexico just after I make this quick detour. So I have decided based upon the timing of all of this, that this episode will be the last episode of this season. I like to think that I'm living in a television show, um, preferably a telenovela. And this could be the first temporada, the first season. Um, and now, and then the second season will begin with my travels throughout the rest of the country. So this is, in a way, the very grand finale. And one day I hope to be able to have a complete phrase in Spanish versus my usual starting in Spanish, ending in English. Um, so it is uh, with with a lot of, I don't know, it's kind of bittersweet. It's, it's, I'm sorry to be leaving Mexico City because I love it here, um, but I am excited about a future exploring uh, the other great cities and small towns in this country. I'm not going to be like Daniel Boone, you know, well, I don't know if it's Daniel Boone's the right analogy, but it's not like I'm going to be backpacking at anywhere because I'm not. Um, overpacking is my middle name. And I'll probably either be flying or taking... They have these great mega buses here that I'm really looking forward to trying. They're supposed to be even nicer than a plane. At this point, the bar is so low on airplane travel that my 2006 Kia, still waiting for me in Chicago, is probably better than a plane. But um, I do want to try these, uh, from what I understand, extremely luxurious and comfortable buses. So when I get back, I'll do that. Um, I can never underpack. I will never be the person who travels. And, oh, I don't check my luggage. Are you kidding? I can't wait to get rid of that luggage. I can't wait. It's like when I would drive somewhere in Chicago. I couldn't wait to give that car to a valet parker. Like Jerry Seinfeld says, I will give my car to any guy in a yellow satin jacket. Although that's totally 80s. And I don't think Valet Parkers wear yellow satin jackets anymore. But when they did, boy, I was first in line to give them my car. Anyway, I have been reminiscing about these past six months uh, here in Mexico City and laughing kind of to myself about how terrified I was when I first got here. Because for all my big talk back in Chicago about moving to Mexico City, when I actually got here, I was absolutely terrified. Not because anything happened, just because it was the complete unknown. Um, and I was finally, you know, it was one thing to talk about it in Chicago, where, you know, I knew every corner of the city and where to go and where not to go and, uh, you know, things like that. But 
I knew nothing when I came to Mexico City, mainly because I'd never been here before. <clears throat> Pardon me. But anyway, so I was thinking when I first got to Mexico City and I was living in a small hotel in Condesa um, that I actually, for the first couple of days, not only would I not leave Condesa, but I pretty much wouldn't leave the block. I either made a series of right turns to explore or I made a series of left turns to explore the other direction, but I stayed on the block. Almost, you know, it was like when I first got a bike when I was a kid and I could only go so far in one direction and so far in the other direction. I pretty much applied that same principle to my first couple of days in Mexico City. And every day I went a little further. After about a week or so, I tried the tour bus, the Mexico City tour bus, which um, there was has like, you know, I don't know, 47 stops, and it stops everywhere in Mexico City of any interest to anybody. And you get a wristband, so you can get on or off the bus, um, you know, and sightsee and then wait for the next bus and just show your wristband and you're on. And there's like a recording that tells you what you're looking at and eight different languages, and you can sit on the top or you can sit on the bottom. I got on that bus, which was as far as I had gone up until that point. And that was about a six-block walk from where I lived. And uh, on the advice of the hotel desk clerk, who probably just saw me walking around the block repeatedly and wondered, like, who was this lunatic living in the hotel, um, he had suggested I do the tour bus. And it was great advice. Um, and one of the things that has really made this trip and living here so wonderful is I told myself before I came out here that whatever advice anyone gave me in Mexico about life in Mexico City or life in Mexico in general, I would follow. Like back in Chicago, I pretty much refused to follow anybody's advice because I was like Miss Triple Know-It-All. Um, and nothing shook that up like moving here, which is a good thing. Um, but I had decided if somebody gave me a piece of advice here, I was going to follow it. And that has never served me wrong. Um, I am very glad that I did that. So I get on the tour bus. And like I said, you can sit on the top. You can sit on the bottom. You can get off. You can get on. I'll tell you right now. I sat down literally as close to the bus driver as I could, and I never got off the bus. I just looked at every site, and at one site, there, were the, there was a guy selling churros to people on the bus. If he had not come onto the bus to sell the churros, I wouldn't have had those churros because I was too afraid to get off the bus to buy them, even though it was like one of those stops where the bus driver actually stops for 15 minutes giving people a chance to transfer from other lines. No, I just sat there. It was like I was frozen, I wouldn't move, and I just watched everything out the window. And it was like a three-hour tour um, if you just stay on the bus because it, you know, Mexico is the world's biggest city with the most amount of cars ever in history in one place. So it's not so easy to drive around um, Mexico City. 
So I sat literally like in the seat right behind, yeah, right behind the bus driver and I didn't move. Um, And it was a great tour. I mean, I saw everything from the windows. Don't get me wrong. Now I have gone back to all those places that I saw from the bus and I've explored them on foot, in person. But, you know, I was just here a few days. And when I got back to the hotel that night from that bus tour, or that afternoon probably, um, I, I had to ask myself, you know, what was I so afraid of? Why wouldn't I get off the bus? Did I think like a gigantic hole was going to open in the ground and swallow me up? Did I think I'd never get a bus again? Um, and that somehow Uber wouldn't work or I couldn't hail a cab. Like, I just tried to th- think everything through of everything I could have possibly been afraid of that kept me on that bus um, and also made me look kind of nutty because the bus driver, like, I think he kept thinking, oh, now she's going to get off the bus. And I didn't get off the bus until we got right back to Condessa in front of the market the Mercado, and then that was where I'd been dropped off. That was, or that was where I was picked up. That's where I got off. So after I took myself through every scenario of everything I could have possibly been afraid of and realized there was really nothing to be afraid of and I was being ridiculous, I couldn't name the fear. And once I couldn't name the fear, I was like, I was like, all right, I don't want to sound like I'm on Oprah or something, by the way. I couldn't name the fear. That sounds so pompous. But what I mean is I couldn't identify what it was I was afraid of. I had no idea what I was afraid of. I was just afraid. And that was totally not like me. And I didn't like that person. I didn't like being afraid. And I was like, this is bullshit, pardon my language. But what am I so afraid of? And that was that. And after that, I really began exploring Mexico City. And that was when I really started making mistakes. Um, Because if you don't start exploring, how are you going to make a mistake? And if you don't make a mistake, how are you going to learn anything, right? Okay. So that's enough with, you know, that Oprah nonsense. But, you know, so here's what happened. Um, Things happened. Like, I got sick, you know, the old Montezuma's Revenge. And like I've said before, I don't know what Montezuma had against me because I'm not related to Hernan Cortez. I never invaded Mexico on a horse and made people think I was a god because I never saw a horse before. So Montezuma has no reason to get revenge on me, but yet he did. Not too bad. I got sick. The hotel called the doctors from the famed Sinaloa Clinic. And when I say famed, I mean because Sinaloa is so famous from El Señor de los Cielos. But no one from the cast of the show turned up. But a young woman driving a motorcycle, inexplicably wearing a lab coat, did. She didn't need to, she didn't need to ask me any questions because basically she knew the drill because they see this, you know, in a lot of people, it's a typical tourist type of disease. And it was good she didn't need to ask ask me any questions, because she didn't really speak very much English, and my Spanish was pretty bad. So I guess I'm lucky I came out of the whole thing with all my limbs intact. But she prescribed a couple of things, gave me a shot. I still don't know what the shot was for. She said it was for my headache. I hadn't complained of a headache, but what the heck, when in Rome, I took that shot, slept for a couple days, I was much better. I think the best part about getting sick 
was that she left two prescriptions for me to get filled and the hotel desk clerk called in the prescriptions, just like a doctor would. Um, and I just sat there and watched him call in the prescriptions. And I was struck by the fact that like anybody could call in a prescription because I was thinking of some other things I might request. But um, also the fact that he could read the doctor's writing, which is a skill I do not believe hotel clerks have in the States. Um, but, you know, no worries, because when they come to deliver the prescription, the um, they collect the doctor's note, so to speak. Um, and, you know, the doctor came to the hotel, and I know I've talked about this before, but that was probably like the one, one of the things I probably in the back of my head was worried about was what if I get sick, and then I did, and then I recovered, and I was fine, and uh, the doctor was terrific, and you can't beat a house call. Uh, I got lost plenty of times. Was I afraid of getting lost? Sure. I got lost about a gazillion times. Why do you think this podcast is called My Mexican Mistakes? But every time I got lost, I either found something better or I found what I was looking for eventually. People helped me. People took my took me by the hand and set me off in the right direction because whenever I would ask for directions, if they answered in Spanish, I would pretend like I understood, but I had no idea what anybody was talking about. Um, I knew the word derecho meant right, and that's because when I was a state's attorney, somehow you learn that derecho means rights, like whether it's the Miranda advisory or something in Spanish. So I knew derecho meant right. Um, the other Spanish I knew from that job was siéntese, por favor, please have a seat, and tienes un abogado, um, do you have a lawyer? And that was all the Spanish I learned from my job, but I did know derecho meant right. So I eventually figured out what left was. I eventually began to understand the idea that a street that, I don't know how to explain it, you could be walking in a certain direction looking for a street that you are supposed to make a right turn on. Well, you better get on the right side of the street you're walking on because that street you're supposed to make a right turn on might not exist on the left side of the street. It took me a long time to figure that out, but I finally did, and I stopped getting lost so much. I ordered 20 gigantic water bottles. You know, the genesis of this whole podcast was the day that I thought I was ordering 20 regular-sized bottles of water, and I ordered 20 water-cooler-sized bottles of water. And to add insult to injury, the cups I ordered were like shot glasses. They were like thimbles, like slightly bigger than thimbles. But it all worked out. I was like the patron saint of water at that hotel in Condesa, where I stayed for two months until I moved to the Airbnb in San Angel. Um, I made friends in Mexico. I was very lucky to have made some great friends. I Some of my friends from Chicago came to visit me. I think they all had a good time. Um, they've come and gone. My friends here are terrific people, and I'm very lucky to have them. Of course, nothing is like the friends that you have in your hometown, and that's Chicago. But I have been very fortunate to meet and can call some really terrific people my friends here. Um, <coughs> sorry. Uh, Christmas Eve, I was invited uh, to a friend's house. Uh, 
And it was an experience that I will never forget, mainly because the I was invited for a traditional Mexican Christmas Eve dinner. Now, the invitation was kind of in Spanish, so maybe I got something wrong, but I'm pretty sure I understood traditional Christmas Eve dinner. The centerpiece of the meal was two different kinds of whole turkeys, barbecue ribs, and mashed potatoes. So I thought somehow Boston Market was like the center of Mexico City for Christmas Eve. Because I'm like, wait, I've had this meal at Boston Market. Um, I didn't know it was a traditional Mexican Christmas Eve dish. But the traditional Mexican Christmas Eve dish actually was the other half of the meal, which was the codfish. Here it's called bacalao. Um, I've eaten it every Christmas Eve uh, just about with my Italian family in Chicago. We call it bacala, but it's the same fish. It's codfish, it's salted, and then it's served like eight different ways. Again, that did not surprise me as the traditional Christmas Mexican Christmas Eve dinner. Two kinds of turkey, two-way turkey, barbecue ribs, mashed potatoes. That was a bit of a surprise, but it was delicious. It was like the Thanksgiving dinner I never got to have. Um, and then pink gin and tonics. I I don't know why the gin was pink. It was delicious. It was a taste sensation. Blue is my favorite flavor, but certainly pink is, you know, right up there. Gin is very popular in Mexico City. I say this because, A, there is a very popular restaurant called Gin Gin, Gin Dash Gin in uh, Roma. I think there's two, actually. There might be one in Polanco. Because if there's one of anything in Mexico City, there's going to be at least two, possibly 37. Um, And so Gin Gin is a very popular restaurant. And then in Polanco, there's a hotel, maybe it's in Juarez, called the Gin Hotel, which I have not yet managed to get over and see, but I have to go there at some point just because it's the gin hotel. And if that isn't a setting for some great 1950s pot boiler detective movie, I don't know what is. Um, I celebrated Independence Day here, Mexican Independence Day, thoroughly confused by the battalion of Spanish army officers marching in the Independence Day parade because it is celebrating independence from Spain, but, you know, live and let live. Uh, people seem to applaud the Spanish army, so what do I know? I, you, I have survived the Zocalo on Independence Day, which is no easy feat. I've told you about the Zocalo. It's the gigantic, it, it's like Soldier Field in Chicago. It's bigger than Soldier Field, I think. But it's like the gigantic plaza that is bordered by the gigantic Metropolitan Cathedral, the humongous Presidential Plaza, and some other buildings. And it takes like a good half hour just to walk literally the parameter of the Zocalo. Um, And when there's a big holiday, the Zocalo is jam-packed. So I survived the Independence Day, Independence Day on the Zocalo and on Avenida Juarez, where the parades are. And uh, I didn't 
dare go there on New Year's Eve because even I'm not that crazy. But I was at the Zocalo a couple days before New Year's Eve and saw what I had been told I would see but didn't believe it until I saw it. And that was a huge ice skating rink made of acrylic in the Zocalo. And I actually put it up on my Facebook page because you can see, in fairness, people who live in Mexico City don't get a lot of chances to ice skate. But I love the people here because it did not stop them from getting out and trying. I have no excuse. I've tried ice skating in Chicago. I had gazillions of opportunities to ice skate in Chicago. I'm the world's worst ice skater. There's no doubt. If there was like a championship hall for world's worst of ice skaters, I would be the big picture in the center of the hall, like when you walk in, the one you first see. So I give the folks here a ton of credit because they were right out there ice skating, even though, for the most part, mostly everybody had to hang on to the rails. But there in the Zocalo in 75-degree weather was an acrylic ice skating rink um, and snow machines pumping in snow as fast as they could. It was a wonderful experience, and some people might think it's a mistake to go to the Zocalo so close to any holiday because it's just so crowded and so impossible to get around. But for me, it was not a mistake at all. It was fantastic. Uh, you know, it's, it is very crowded there, and you're smart. if you Just like anywhere, you keep an eye on where your wallet is, don't, you know, hang out with your phone for hours because just like in Chicago, anyone can come along and grab it. Mexico City is still a big city. It's like the world's biggest city. But I, I will tell you, I've never, it's, it's very safe here. Very safe. I never felt like I was in danger. The only person I was ever in danger from in Mexico City was me. Me and my mistakes. Uh, I've been to like street markets all over the place, not to be missed. It, it's they're incredible. The, the 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 goods, the products, the services, the food. Um, I mean, you you would be amazed. And if I was furnishing a house, I would come here to furnish it because I, there were so many things I saw that I wanted, and the only thing that kept me from buying them was that they would just end up in storage right now because I plan on traveling all throughout. But I've been to those street markets, um, and I've been to the most lavish malls I could have ever imagined in my life. Malls that are kind of indoors, kind of outdoors. Every I'm not a designer shopper, but like I said, every designer you can imagine, but there isn't just one mall. There's like five malls. Like, oh, I would like to buy some Christian Dior today, but I don't really feel like going that far. You don't have to, because there's going to be like five malls with Christian Dior stores. Again, I'm not the Christian Dior shopper, but like a friend of mine said who is from, he's from Puerto Rico, but he was living here for a bit, and uh, he had a great quote. He said, there is no first world country that does the first world better than Mexico City, and that is absolutely true from the restaurants to the shopping to the amazing hotels to the cinemas the theaters it is this is the most elegant and lavish city sure not the whole city what whole city is entirely lavish and elegant but 
this <laughs> this city is a lot more lavish and elegant than any other city I've ever been to. Um, I have seen uh, I, I've seen some great old telenovelas while I've been here, including Derecho a Nacer with a young Kate del Castillo who gets pregnant. And so then her father sends her to her room for like nine months. Her parents are incredibly fouled up. Um, so she's basically punished and sent to her room for nine months. She gives birth to the baby uh, with the help of her own nanny. And then her nanny takes the baby. I don't remember why, but then the father, in the meantime, hired a hitman to kill the baby. That's right. The father hired a hitman to kill his own grandchild. But the nanny appealed to the kidnapper and told the kidnapper he could tell people that he killed the baby and take all the credit, but she was going to raise the baby as her own. But the nanny was black and the baby was white. And then that created a whole set of problems as she was raising the child because it was like set in the 60s. Well, maybe not the 60s. The original one is like set in the 40s. It was a radio novella from Cuba. But anyway, um, it's funny because the thing that drove me here to Mexico, um, the reason why I wanted to move to Mexico City was to write my own telenovela, which I have written a script. I've sent that to the producer. I'm waiting to hear his opinion of this latest version of it. And I have been revising my book, La Gringa Novelera, Prosecutor by Day, Novelera by Night, I've been revising it in the way it was suggested to me. I change it. Um, but the one thing I haven't been able to do here are watch the great telenovelas that I was used to watching from Telemundo when I was living in the States because here, Telemundo, there's Telemundo Internacional, but they show repeats of the novelas I've already seen. Um, so it's funny to me that the one thing that drove me here is the thing that's the hardest for me to do. I mean, I can watch the novellas on Televisa and Imagen. It's not that. But I was so used to the telenovelas from Telemundo and those characters and the, the styles of the shows, of the writers. And it's hard for me to get used to a different kind of novella, which I know sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, but I'm going to have to figure that out. But meanwhile, I've made a lot of mistakes but like a great telenovela, it all turned out just fine in the end. Um, and I'm going to end with this. Like I said, I've been revising um, and editing my book uh, in the way that I was told I should change it. And so I'd like to read to you the first few pages of the introduction, which I've completely changed. It begins like this. If I lived in a telenovela and I had amnesia, and I could not remember who I was. I wouldn't mind too much because I'm pretty sure that my new life is going to be way more exciting than the one I forgot. My plane lands at Benito Juarez Airport in Mexico City, which is when it finally hits me that the Spanish I've learned from watching telenovelas might not exactly serve me too well at customs and immigration. Unless, of course... I'm about to tell one of the officials that I love him, I hate him, or I'm pregnant. None of these phrases will help, or are true, but that never stops anyone in a telenovela. But it definitely wouldn't be a good idea here, in customs, in Mexico City, 
for me to try that. It was my passion for telenovelas that brought me here to Mexico City, but there was nothing I had learned from telenovelas that was going to help me as I stood in that long line waiting to clear immigration, hoping no one was going to expect anything from me more than an enthusiastic Ketal. Ketal is like the exp- everyday expression for what's up. The very first phrase I learned when I was learning Spanish from telenovelas was, ¿Qué haces aquí? What are you doing here? I loved greeting visitors to my office in Chicago with that question, a question that was always more of a demand in a telenovela. It usually confused people as they approached me, mainly because they didn't speak Spanish. Neither did I really, but like a telenovela savant, I could easily remember useless phrases and then drop them in at the wrong time. And happily, it actually cut down on the visitors who were usually just looking for a place to smoke. However, that was a question I could not ask the no-nonsense customs agent who was busy searching my overpacked luggage, but it was the question I should have been asking myself. What am I doing here, alone, in Mexico City, a city I had never been to before, inside of a country I had never been to before, with the only Spanish I knew coming from super dramatic television shows? I was never going to be able to find my way to the dry cleaners or get a good hot dog. This wasn't a vacation. I had moved to Mexico City. Not knowing how to find the dry cleaners or a good hot dog could become a big problem. Was I nervous at O'Hare Airport just a few hours before waiting to board the flight to start my new life in Mexico? Well, let me put it this way. As I sat in the departure lounge of Aeromexico, I seriously contemplated walking out, checking into an airport hotel, and faking my entire move to Mexico from a motel in Rosemont, Illinois. I'd never leave my room except to visit the closest Mexican restaurant, where I could occasionally Skype from, just to convince everyone I really was in Mexico. And I almost did it. But then they were calling my flight, and it was time to follow through with a plan I had hatched a year before, one winter night in my Chicago apartment, when I realized I was about to turn 60. Not 60 years old then and there, but someday, like Meg Ryan had said about turning 30 and when Harry met Sally. For me, 60 was like the bell tolling, and the bell was tolling for me. I had to finish what I started five years before on another winter night in Chicago, and the place to finish it was in Mexico City. The Valium and cocktails helped me get through the flight, and when we landed, I was grateful to not be in a coma. But now I had to start figuring out things for myself, because although it sure sounded easy when I announced I was moving to Mexico City, now that I was a- now I was actually here, and maybe it wasn't going to be as easy as I thought. Chicago was the only place I had ever lived in my whole not so short life, and now I had left my family, friends, home, and a job for a room and a bed and breakfast in a neighborhood known as La Condesa in Mexico City. Want to know why? Not for love, not for a job, not for a cause, for a dream. Five years before, on one cold winter night after work, 
I was looking for something good to watch on TV and stumbled upon a telenovela on Telemundo called Corazon Valiente, Braveheart. I didn't understand a word of it, not one word. But as I watched the crazy, beautiful cast and their high-wire hijinks, I wondered if I could learn Spanish from watching a telenovela. That was it. And that was the moment that changed my life. And from that simple question, six years later, I would move to Mexico City to live, to write a telenovela of my own. And now here I was, finally clearing customs and looking for the driver from my hotel who was waiting to take me to my new life. We found each other, and off I went into the Mexico City night. I know that it was Aero Mexico that brought me here, but I still really don't know how I got here. You should know that before I ever started learning Spanish from telenovelas, I never asked myself a question like that or even something close to a question like that. First of all, I'm a lifelong Chicagoan who strayed rarely from the city limits, so I have always known exactly where I was going. All you have to know is where Lake Michigan is. It's the Chicago Compass. Compass. And if you always know where you're going, you never wonder how you got there. Second, I'm a lawyer. When all of this started, I was a career prosecutor in the gang crimes unit at the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Believe me, you can't do that job and wonder how you got anywhere. When you're in the middle of a murder trial, you would better know where you were going and exactly how you planned to get there. And I did until I started watching telenovelas. I don't remember when I first wondered what was happening to me, but I remember the day that question, how did I get here, rang the loudest in my ears. Thursday, November 20th, 2014. I was in Miami for the Miami International Book Fair. Although I had not yet written a book, or had even thought of writing a book, to be honest, I love Miami books, fairs, and anything that has a designation international, especially the House of Pancakes, which I am happy to report is thriving here in Mexico City. It was evening, and I was in the back seat of an SUV deep in traffic on Biscayne Boulevard on the way to South Beach for dinner. And at the wheel of the SUV, only Jose Ignacio Elchascas Valenzuela, the award-winning author, screenwriter, and telenovela creator, Sitting next to him was his husband, Anthony Ortega. As we crept up Biscayne Boulevard, the three of us were laughing and swapping stories and having a tremendous time. Anyone would have thought we'd known each other for years, instead of just having met moments before in my hotel lobby. Me, with a telenovela superstar in Miami, on the way to dinner, and I don't have to drive? Are you kidding me? As I looked out onto the lights of Miami Beach, I could feel the ocean nearby as the humidity freed, freed all of the colics I had ironed into submission just minutes before. And when I finally stopped talking about Chascas's epic telenovela, Santa Diabla, Holy Devil, only long enough to get some oxygen back into my brain, I asked myself the question, how did I get here? It may have been the first time I asked myself that question so pointedly, but believe me, it was not going to be the last. And boy, oh boy, that question was buzzing like a bee in my brain 
as the hotel car took me through the streets of Mexico City on my way to my hotel. Why don't you join me on this journey and maybe we can figure it out together? Like a great telenovela, it's full of fun, adventure, intrigue, romance, excitement, miscommunication, murder, only in my job, of course, and a major false identity, mine. Well, that's the end of the introduction to the book. I hope you like it. I'm working on it, and I only took a break from working on it to do this podcast and, of course, to pack up my stuff. This is the end of season one. When you hear from me next, it will be from somewhere in Mexico and uh, with all new mistakes. So have a very happy new year, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.